0: Greetings my fellow skeletons suspended in meat, it's Ding Dong Darkness Time and I'm Allison Dixon, back with a short episode of Ding Dong Ditch to tide you over until the next episode of Season 3, Class of Cults. After last week's Primer episode, which has been one of the most popular of the show so far, you should totally check it out if you haven't already, I figured I'd keep things cult-adjacent today, because what sort of leader would I be if I didn't do what my people wanted? So this week's Ding Dong Ditch is going to take you thousands of years back in time, well before the word cult or even the English language existed. That said, people were around, and as I'll soon demonstrate, wherever people gather, they bring their rituals. And some of them might seem a little freaky, but that's how we roll on this show. So hang on to your skulls, ding-dongs. It's about to get Neolithic up in here. Imagine a society of beings so obsessed with cranial cavities they decapitate people and animals, strip the flesh from the bone, maybe apply decorations or carvings, and then display these skulls like prized possessions. You probably think I'm talking about the plot of a Predator movie, and well, okay, I actually kind of was there, but it turns out the concept of interstellar big game hunters who collect skulls of people and animals has some basis in reality. And by the way, you should totally watch the movie Prey if you haven't already. So good. Anyway, shouts to my bestie and occasional co-host, Chris, who recently clued me into the existence of prehistoric skull cults. As soon as he mentioned it, I knew I had to dive down that rabbit hole and see where it led. But what does the word cult really mean in the context of the New Stone Age? It's a word we're bandying about quite a bit in this season, and it tends to have negative connotations today. For a more detailed analysis of the word, I'll direct you to the primer episode. But for the purposes of this episode, when talking about prehistoric people, I'm using it in the most elemental sense to describe humans gathering together for a shared ritualistic purpose, a very early form of religion, if you will. The Neolithic Age represents the final period of the Stone Age, and it began earlier or later depending on what part of the world we're talking about here, especially as various regions were still dealing with the waning effects of the most recent Ice Age. But for now, we'll just say it's measured roughly to have occurred between 10,000 and 4500 BCE. And it's around the time people began to leave the hunter gatherer lifestyle behind in favor of farming the land, domesticating animals, and forming sedentary settlements and actual communities. With that came various forms of nature worship that would bring favorable conditions for things like weather for crops and fertility for settlers and the like. Some of the earliest forms of Neolithic worship include the veneration of the female form, as it is believed women with their whole ability to give birth thing held the secrets of creation and so were particularly influential on the harvests. We also see the worship of animals like the bull as a representation of the male masculine form and the formation of the belief that the sky was the home of deities. It is here where anyone who took a basic Western Civ class in high school learned about the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, Cradle of Civilization, that whole thing. Sanctuaries of worship were built usually in the center of these settlements, figurines and other forms of art were crafted, and the priests and priestesses who conducted these cult rituals gained considerable power and influence among their people, designated as the only ones worthy of living in the temples. And again, to get a grasp of how ancient this stuff is, we're still a couple millennia away from ancient Egypt and their great pyramids, or the building of Stonehenge over in present day England. It was a long, long, long time ago, and it's significant because it shows how deeply interwoven this stuff is in our ancestral DNA. If there is one comfort I take from the study of history, it's the reassurance that no matter how distressing human behavior can seem in today's world, we've always in some form been this way. So anyway, what's up with these skull cults? I know that's why most of you tuned in in the first place. Well, in the simplest terms, it's about the veneration of the skull. In many dig sites of ancient settlements around the world from this period, archaeologists have unearthed skulls crafted into objects like mugs and drums and other items. But back in the 1990s, they unearthed an 11,000-year-old Neolithic temple site in southern Turkey called Göbleki Tepe, and it is currently the oldest known temple in the world. From that temple, skull fragments were recovered that showed how the people there treated the skulls of the dead. They found carvings in the bone, likely made with stone tools, as well as evidence of painting and a drilled hole with accompanying grooves that appeared to be used to aid in the hanging of said skull. Kind of like you'd hang a mobile over a baby's crib. Not saying they did that, of course, but if they did, it would have to be the most heavy metal baby in existence, but I digress. More than that, however, stone carvings on the walls depict headless bodies, and there was evidence the people also decapitated human sculptures and laid the heads near monuments and other pillars of worship. What isn't clear is if this was something they did to celebrate a beloved person, or if it was, say, to punish a villain. It's possible it was even both. Either way, it seems this group in particular was all about that cranium. But this wasn't the only place documented to engage in such practices. Skulls unearthed in the Palestinian city of Jericho from approximately 9,000 years ago also exhibit some form of added embellishment with clay and plaster, often to mimic features from life like eyes and noses. Skulls like this have also been unearthed in Jordan and Syria, many of which are now on display in museums all over the world. It's still up for debate how much of this was for ancestral worship or some of that predator-like headhunting trophy display I mentioned at the beginning and which has been documented in later civilizations in the Bronze and Iron Ages. But these plastered skulls demonstrate some of the earliest forms of post-mortem and burial practice for the dead. And speaking of Syria and other areas of the Middle East, like the Arabian Peninsula, thousands of structures have been uncovered indicating the existence of cattle cults. You got that right. I mean, if we're going to join a cult, the offer of some beef would definitely sweeten the pot for me. But these folks had slightly different aims. As I mentioned earlier, the domestication of livestock was really coming into its own around this time. Not only that, but the once- watery and verdant areas of the Sahara were beginning to give way to a more arid climate, resulting in the desert landscape we now associate with the region. People built these large rectangular structures called moustatils, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which are considered one of the earliest forms of large-scale stone structures. They were first discovered in the 1970s, but more than a thousand others have been found in 2017 by using satellite imagery and from the air in helicopters. They look like long, straight, rectangular shapes, sometimes with other lines inside them, almost like a rudimentary sort of maze. Researchers believe given the scale of these structures, they can be anywhere from 65 to 2,000 feet in length. And the existence of cattle and other animal bones buried in the central chambers of these mustatils, it took a concerted effort on the part of people gathered for a singular ritualistic purpose. Sounds a little cult-like, right? Further, the lack of evidence that people lived in or among these structures, usually demonstrated by discarded pots, food items, etc., leads archaeologists to believe these were strictly gathering places for the offering of animal sacrifices. But why? Well, again, it comes back down to that climate change. The grassy, water-rich land was quickly vanishing. As people faced the devastating and rapid desertification of their region, they sought solutions both on the ground and from on high. Cults tend to form most easily during times of uncertainty and social strife. And as groups became more nomadic in search of water and pasture for their livestock, these sites became common gathering places to perform sacrificial rites in the hope of appeasing the deities. But it's particularly amazing when one considers the effort and skill involved in doing this. Your homeland is rapidly changing into something inhospitable. Resources are very limited, but you're building this massive structure of stone walls four feet high, hundreds of feet long, and the very cattle you're trying to provide for are also your sacrificial lambs, so to speak. All in the name of an ardent belief that if you do these things, you might see a change in your fortunes. And maybe some of these people did. Whether on the part of divine intervention or luck, enough people had to have experienced some sort of result that further reinforced their belief, thereby furthering the continuation or evolution of the cult into something even greater, like a religion. In psychology, this process is called intermittent reinforcement, and it's one of the biggest drivers behind human behavior gamblers in particular know it well. Winning once plants the seed from which germinates the belief that if you keep playing, you will win again, even if the odds place it in the realm of receiving a lightning strike. And speaking of lightning, of course, there were cults for that as well. Lightning and thunder, two of the most powerful forces of nature, were complete mysteries to ancient humans. Thunder cults were very prominent in Western Europe in particular and gave birth to the symbol of the axe, a shape intended to represent a thunderbolt hurled by a sky god. Neolithic tombs are decorated with countless representations of axes, from painted tiles and rocks to clay sculptures of axes, some intended to be used as charms. Sites where lightning struck the ground became sacred places where gods touched the earth. It was often where people built their temples. That seems awfully risky. After all, it's a myth that lightning doesn't strike somewhere twice. In fact, lightning actually loves to hit the same spot over and over again. It seems like maybe building a temple there is a bad idea. But then again, if you consider a lightning bolt the appendage of a god, and I'll be wholesome and assume the appendage is a finger or something, Maybe that's exactly what you're hoping for. In the thousands of years since the Neolithic age, countless cultures from the Greeks and Romans to the Celts and Scandinavians, the Mesopotamians, the Incans and Aztecs have all created deities representing thunder and lightning. Like Led Zeppelin and the African American blues artists of the early 20th century, Thor and his hammer owe a lot to the axes of the Neolithic thunder cults. And what is a cult? at its most basic form, but a gathering of like-minded individuals, often driven by a need and dependency in the hope of achieving a very specific goal. In the case of the cattle cults, it came down to their very survival in a landscape that was rapidly becoming incompatible with life. It makes me wonder if we might start seeing more of this as our own climate change begins to accelerate. And for the thunder cults, It was a way to form an understanding of big deadly forces coming down from the sky. Dig a little deeper and you'll probably find a tornado cult somewhere in the ancient America's version of Kansas or Oklahoma. Nowadays, though, we probably just call them storm chasers. Anyway, I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew with this particular topic. It's a vast simplification of a period of humanity that's measured in millennia. And as I said before, the Neolithic age is far from monolithic. Life in Jericho and the Levant was far different than life in the Americas in the Far East. But I thought it was a good idea to give a brief glimpse of the earliest cults and cult-like rituals so that it feels a little less disturbing when, for instance, I talk about the Order of the Solar Temple and how they committed mass suicide in 1994 in the belief they would escape pending ecological disaster and be reborn on a planet circling a distant star. I'll talk more about them in a future episode, don't worry. We can hearken back to the people hanging out in Go Blecky Tepe 10,000 years ago who might very well have had similar aims in some of their ritualistic practice. When you measure the progress of human civilization over these last 10,000 years, you can get a real sense of how slow our evolution as a species has been. Our technology is downright magical by comparison, but our core behaviors exist in the eye of the storm removed from the winds of change. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this brief journey back in time. The next episode of season three is on its way next week, where I'll be taking you on a deeper dive on a particular type of cult. Which one that will be is going to be a surprise. I have to dangle the carrot to keep my devotees enthralled after all. In the meantime, if you like what you've heard today or if you've been enjoying the journey through the Ding Dong Darkness Time back catalog, definitely reach out and let me know with a review over on iTunes or an email at dddarknesstime@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And you can find me over on Twitter still by the handle dddarknesstime. And new to the social media lineup is the Ding Dong Darkness Time Facebook page. You can now find me over there at facebook.com slash Time. I'll be posting new episodes there and audio clips, as well as supplemental links on all the information I dig up on my research and more. You can also reach out to me with any questions or suggestions you might have there. I'll be back next week with another episode aimed to please the brain meats. But until then, go forth and be good, you little ding-dongs.